You happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Did I already ask you that? Okay. Just want to make sure. Good to see you all here. And uh, it's a good day to be alive. Uh, Colin's uh, twin brother is here. You know, no, about six months ago, I, 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 was, I was at some place and I walked up to this young man and I said, listen, Colin, this is what I need you to do. And he's just sitting there looking at me. And after I went on and on, he goes, by the way, I'm not Colin. I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, strength and resilience. Strength and resilience. Strength and resilience. How strong are you? God wants us to be strong. But in the areas where we're not strong, we must at least be resilient. And I want to talk to you about a number of concepts today uh, as we open this up. Where am I? There I am. In order for us to understand strength and resilience, there's a few concepts, a few quantities that I want to define for you this morning. First of all, equilibrium. Equilibrium. Equilibrium is a state of calm, balance, peace. It is the state of rightness that arises from the sense that all aspects of your life are in their proper order. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is right. It doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory, that everything's going good. Stuff in your life can be falling apart, but you can still maintain your equilibrium. It simply means that even the stuff that you're working on in your life or that God is working on in your life, those things are in their proper place as well. It means you know where to put the stuff that you're working on so that it doesn't overtake your life. Because what tends to happen is that when we're working on something, we allow that thing that we're working on to overtake our entire life so that our entire life becomes about stuff that we're trying to fix. Equilibrium. It means that Everything that should be emphasized in my life is emphasized in the correct proportion. It means that there's nothing in my life that I should be emphasizing that I'm not. Equilibrium. It's a state of balance. It's a state of peace. It's a state of calm. Your equilibrium is your sense that all is well. Amen. That everything's okay. That all is well. That I can rest securely at night because all is well, And God created us to live with this sense of equilibrium. Anything outside of that state of equilibrium is outside of God's intended creative purpose for your life. He did not create you to live with an internal sense of chaos. He, lived, he created you to live with peace. Amen. Equilibrium. But what challenges our equilibrium is what I call disaster. And a disaster is not just a trial. A disaster is not just a tribulation. It's not just a negative happening that overtakes your life. It's not just something terrible that you walk through because you can actually walk through a trial and maintain your equilibrium. But it becomes a disaster at the very moment it pushes you out of your equilibrium. The moment it robs you of your peace, of your calm. 
The moment it robs you of the sense of rightness of your life, when it causes you to feel like your entire life is wrong, where everything in your life is wrong and everything's in the wrong place and there's big chunks missing out of your life, when it causes you to feel like your entire world has been turned upside down and been emptied out of all of its contents, when it causes you to fall on your face and cry out, there's nothing good in me, nothing good about my life, when it causes you to long for the coming of the Lord because you just can't stand this life anymore. It's a disaster. It's a disaster because it's robbed you of your equilibrium. And the word disaster means different things for different people. If you're a junior high school student and your girlfriend just broke up with you, that could be a disaster. I mean, that could push you right out of your equilibrium. For some folks, you have a hair trigger for disaster. Just a little wind that blows. Oh, Lord, my whole life is fall. Little twig hits you in the head. Oh, God, I, I got shot. Get a little pain in your chest. It's the big one, Lamont. I'm having a heart attack. I'm coming home, Elizabeth. If you're under 30 years old, you did not understand that. That's okay. <laughs> or if you're ethnically challenged. <laughs> Translation, black folks, you got that one. That was Sanford and Son. <laughs> the smallest thing that happens, you can come out of church with the joy of the Lord, speaking in tongues, your hands shaking like this, because that's when you really know you got the Holy Ghost. When your hands start shaking like that, then the Spirit is really on you. You can come out with goose bumply bubblies up and down your spine saying brother and sister and God bless you and hallelujah. And what a wonderful word. And somebody cuts you off on the freeway and it's a disaster. It just pushes you right out of your place of equilibrium. When we're talking about what is able to push you out of your equilibrium, we're talking about your vulnerability. Vulnerability is the degree to which you are susceptible to disaster. Vulnerability is the degree to which you are susceptible to disaster. If you were to put on a bulletproof vest, you have just diminished your susceptibility to certain kinds of disaster. And that particular kind of disaster is what we call a, a gunshot wound to the chest. Now, you have not completely alleviated your vulnerability because you could still get shot in the arm, the foot, or the face. And that would not be a very good day. But at least if you got shot in the chest... It still wouldn't be a good day, but you would make it through that one. So you have diminished your vulnerability in that particular area. But there are open places in all of our lives where we are vulnerable. Vulnerable to disaster. Vulnerability has to do with the element of risk posed by contingencies, either within or beyond the power of your control. Contingencies. Meaning, if this were to happen, it would be all bad. We can all point to places in our lives where we say, if that were to happen, it would be all bad. If that, and you know you're vulnerable, we all know our vulnerabilities. When I'm talking about your vulnerability, I'm not talking about something that has already happened. I'm talking about something that if it did happen, it would be all bad. You say, well, you know, I'm strong in the Lord. I love the Lord. I meditate on scripture. I listen to the word and I give my tithe and I go to church. 
But if somebody on the street said the wrong thing to me at the wrong time, it would be all bad. You say, oh, I love the Lord and I come to church and I'm strong in the Lord. And if you see me 99, if you see me 364 out of 365 days of the year, I'm just strong in the Lord, full of the Holy Ghost and full of Jesus. But if the wrong woman looked at me in the wrong way and gave me the, the right opportunity, it would be all bad. In other words, I understand this place of vulnerability in my life. I remember a young man said to me, we went and visited one of, one of the, one of this person and, at his house, and he had a $5 million house. I mean, I mean, his guest house was bigger than my regular house. You know, his garage, I wish I could have lived in the man's garage. You know, his house, I mean, it had marble tile floors all through the house and beautiful hardwood floors going upstairs. I mean, you know, high, I mean, it was a, it was, you know, probably eight, 9,000 square foot house. I mean, it was on a, on a gate, you know, his own private gate community. And we were walking through there. And one of the young men said, oh, the Lord knows better than to give me a house like this. Oh, the Lord knows he better not give me a house like this. I know why the Lord doesn't give me a house like this. I wouldn't be serving him for five minutes in a house like this. And he was going on and on about what he would do if he had a house like that. How many parties he would have, how many girls he would have over there, and what he would be doing. He said, the Lord knows better than to give me a house like this. And I, I thought to myself, young man, you just revealed your vulnerability. You just told me that you're vulnerable in this area, that even though it is not present right now, even though you haven't fallen into this pit right now, if you don't do something to close that door, you don't have to get $5 million. As soon as you get $5, you're going to go into a pit. You get $500 and you'll be at the wrong place. Vulnerability. Your level of susceptibility to attack or, or harm. Jesus said in John 14, 40, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but let him come. He ain't got nothing in me. Jesus says, I've, there's no level of vulnerability to the attack of the devil in me. There is no place in my life. He, he couldn't send the right woman to get me in the wrong situation. He could send every woman in the world. Wouldn't work. Try something else. There's not an amount of money that could get me to compromise. Jesus said that he doesn't have anything in me. He couldn't, he could try the money, sex, power, triad, and it would have no effect on me. The prince of this world is coming. He's got nothing in me. Why? Because I've got no vulnerability to him. You know why? I got strength. Strength. Strength is the ability to stand your ground against what we call the wiles of the devil. It's the ability. That's why Paul said, put on the whole armor of God so that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. First, he said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. Strength is the ability to stand against whatever the devil throws at you. Strength is the ability to stand against whatever the devil throws at you. Whenever I see people walk away from their faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that what they had wasn't real. It simply means that they were not strong enough to stand against something the devil threw at them. The devil some way was able to get their number. And he threw something at them 
that they were not strong enough to stand against. And so Paul warns us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he prays in Ephesians 3.16, he says, I bow my knee before the Father in heaven from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious might, he might strengthen you with power in your inner being by his spirit so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Do you hear the language he's using? Rooting and established, strong, strengthened with might. You know what he's saying? I want you to be so strong that no matter what the devil throws at you, he cannot knock you down because you are strong. Strength does not mean you never go through anything. It doesn't mean you're never tempted. It simply means that temptation can't take you down. It doesn't mean that you're never tried. It simply means that trial can't take you down. It doesn't mean that you're never tested. It simply means that no test has the power to take you down. But strength, we must understand, is a decision. That's why Paul says, be strong. It's a command. You can either obey it or you can rebel against it. Weakness is rebellion. And that flies in the face of so much of what we're taught, isn't, doesn't it? Because we're taught it's okay to be weak sometimes. You know, it's okay to be weak. Sometimes you're weak. Sometimes you're weak. You know what Paul said about weakness? He said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. It, listen, it's okay for me to be weak. I'm weak all the time, but God is never weak. And I'm not standing in my own strength, so that means I'm always strong in him. Always strong. Trial is not an excuse for me to fall into a pit of calamity and wallow in it. He said, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. It's a command. Be strong. What did God say to Joshua? Be strong. Take courage. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Why would Joshua need that command? Because he's got a group of three million people who are historically rebellious who have absolutely no experience on the battlefield, never held a spear. You you handed one of them a spear or sword, they'd be like, what's this? They didn't know how to make bricks. They've been slaves in Egypt for 300 years. And God says, you're going to go in and destroy all of these nations and drive them all out and possess the land I promised on on oath to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just, how am I going to do How am I going to train these people for war? Meanwhile, they're crying to me about all their problems. And God says, Joshua, be strong. Take courage. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. How am I going to be strong, Lord? I mean, you've given me an impossible task. God says, I got a strategy for you. I know you can't be strong on your own, so I got a strategy for you. Here's your strategy. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth. You'll be careful to meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything in it. And you'll teach it to your children. And then you'll be prosperous and successful wherever you go. Joshua, here is your strategy. Your meditation is not going to be your places of weakness because here's the key. Learning how to meditate on the word of God is not... Listen, us believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to learn how to meditate. Whenever I talk about meditating on the word of God, people say, I don't know how to meditate. Let me tell you something. You know how to meditate. Every human being knows how to meditate. Human beings are notorious meditators. The problem is we're meditating on the wrong stuff. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you didn't get enough sleep last night. You wake up in the morning, you immediately start meditating 
Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. I didn't get enough sleep. I'm so tired. I didn't get enough sleep. I got such a long day. I wish I didn't have such a long day. Oh, and I got so much to do. How am I going to do it? I don't have the strength. I'm going to be tired. And that just becomes the meditation. Pretty soon you're sitting at your desk going, oh, I am so tired. I am so tired. Oh, I have no strength. I have no strength to much to do. Wish I didn't watch that TV show last night at midnight. Wish I got to sleep earlier. Too bad my baby woke up in the middle of the night and now I didn't get enough sleep. We create this mantra of weakness and we find ourselves 10 o'clock at night. We've been meditating on it all day long. All day long. And and you know how I know it's the meditation of my heart? Because the meditation of your heart will always become the words of your mouth. Because then when you see people, how you doing? Man, I'm so tired. I didn't get enough sleep last night. My baby woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And she kept me up all night. And I got so much to do today. And then you get off work and you come home and, hey, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. And, we, and, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because we don't realize we become what we meditate. God says, Joshua, you're not going to spend your time meditating on your weakness. Joshua could have been sitting around going, man, what am I going to do? These people don't know nothing. We got to take all these nations and we don't know how. And Jericho's got these big walls. And what if they shoot arrows at us and pour hot oil over the wall? We don't even know how to make a battering ram. What are we going to do? And all these people, he could have just been sitting around meditating on how bad it was. And God says, you're not going to meditate nor strategize. You're, simp- you're not going to meditate on your weakness nor strategize about how to fix your problems. Instead, you're going to meditate on my word day and night. It will not depart from your mouth. You're going to meditate on it day and night. It's going to be the meditation of your heart and it's going to be the words that come from your mouth. That is the deeper the trial I go through, the more intensely focused on my meditation I should become. The meditation of my heart. And that's why David said in Psalm chapter 19, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let me give you a translation. Let me give you a a Benjamin Robinson 2013 ghetto translation of this verse. Unless... Your meditation is focused on the strength of the Lord. You will not know him as your strength or your redeemer. He says, I know you as my strength and and my redeemer. Why? Because that is the center of the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth. That is the moment I encounter trouble, I'm constantly turning my heart towards the one who is my strength. When I feel weak, instead of meditating on my weakness, my meditation becomes, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my strength. You see, Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, when I feel weak, my meditation goes right to that place where I say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've made a decision that I'm not going to allow myself to be weakened again. 
I made a decision that I'm not going to walk in weakness. I'm going to walk in strength. In my own weakness, I'm always weak. But in the Lord, I'm always strong. Why? Because even though I'm always weak, he is always strong. And if he's always strong in me, then I'm always strong in him. And so I'm not commanded to be weak in myself. I'm commanded to be strong in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Be strong. Just be strong. Just make a decision to come out of that weak think. All of that weak thinking. Weak. Weak. Weak-minded believers. That's what we are, is weak-minded believers. But God wants to make us strong-minded believers. But there's another side to the equation, isn't there? Because no matter how strong you are, there's always things that are beyond your expectation or control that have the capacity to hit you and knock you out of your place of equilibrium. I don't care how strong you are. You could have the strongest mind of any believer in the world. At some point in your life, something either hits you hard enough to knock you off of your equilibrium or it's coming. I mean, you could be strong. Bam! It hits you. It just knocks you off of your equilibrium. How about Joseph? Now, if anybody had a strong mind, it was Joseph. He became a slave. Now, if I had become a slave, you know, if they would have taken me to Potiphar, would have had to kill me. I wouldn't have been a good slave. I'd have been the worst slave, most good for nothing slave. Potiphar would have asked me for his money back for what he paid for me. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to work to pay off yourself because <laughs> you're not worth the money I paid for you. You know, he would tell me to mop the floor. I'd have had the worst attitude mopping the floor. Joseph was in there mopping like it was his birthday. You ain't never seen a floor mop this. He was dancing while he's mopping the floor, you know? I mean, you know, Joseph was in there. Potiphar was like, man, I've never seen a floor so clean before. Joseph was so, Joseph became the model slave in the house. He became the best slave. He said, Potiphar, I've never seen a slave like you. You know why? Because he was in the position of slavery, but his mind was not in slavery. He never became a slave in his thinking. The problem is as soon as you throw me into a place of slavery, I become a slave in my thinking. Joseph was put into the place of slavery, but in his mind, he was still a son. So he didn't see Potiphar as his master. He saw him as a father of that house, and he served him the same way he would have served his father Jacob when he was back home. He was serving like a son. He said, you give me a task, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And pretty soon Potiphar put him over the whole house. He was running that house as if he was the inheritor of it. Wasn't going to get any inheritance out of that house, but he served it as if he was. Why? Because you can put me in the place of slavery, but you can't make me a slave. I am determined not by my external situation, but by my internal condition. What happens to me doesn't happen in me. I happen to the things that happen around me. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen, you can't change the way I think. You can put my arm, you can put my body in stocks, but you cannot bind my mind. Joseph made a decision. I'm going to keep my mind in the right place. I'm going to focus my thinking. I'm not going to become weak in my thinking. And even after Potiphar's wife, that scandalous woman. Woo. That woman was scandalous. You know, that scandalous woman got him thrown in prison. He could have just fallen out on the floor and going, oh, this is it. Oh, this is just great. You give me all these dreams about me being Lord and everybody bowing down to me. And now I go from slavery to prison. Thanks a lot, God. He could have had that attitude, which I see Christians get all the time. I've seen 13-year-old Christians with that attitude. Oh, God doesn't love me. Why? 
You're 13 years old for crying out loud. You haven't lived long enough to even define the word love yet. My taxes are too high. That's how I know God doesn't love me. Joseph immediately begins to serve the warden of the prison the same way he served Potiphar. Kept his attitude. He prophesying over folks, interpreting people's dreams, ministering to people in prison. He got in there and started a prison ministry. He had the right attitude. I mean, he kept, he, that brother had some strength in his mind. He kept his mind in the right place. And then he comes into Pharaoh's court. He's made Lord of all of Egypt. Starts, Pharaoh gives him a wife. He starts popping out kids. First one comes out, a boy. He named him Manasseh, which means to forget. He said, God made me forget all of my father's house and all of my affliction. You hear what he's saying? Everything that ever happened to me that's bad, it's in the past. I'm healed. I'm so far beyond that stuff. Praise Jesus. Has another kid, Ephraim, which means fruitful. God's made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And then his brothers show up. Bam! Potiphar's house couldn't do it. Stood strong through that. The prison couldn't do it. Stood strong through that. The baker, for, the butler forgot about him. Stood strong through that. But his brothers show up. And the next thing you know, he's hanging, you know, he's in his room crying. And then hiding goblets in their bags and arresting them and, throw, you know, locking up Simeon and putting him in the jail and sending him home and saying, come back with your brother or else you'll never see Simeon again. And then they come back and he accuses Benjamin of stealing and then brings him in. And then he's crying and wailing and slobbering and snot coming out. He's crying so hard. He was crying so hard. They heard him in Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh's in his palace holding court. Said, what in the world is happening at Joseph's house? He sends messengers to find out. Joseph then lost his mind. And they go over there and Joseph is crying and huddling with his brothers crying. And, I thought you forgot all that, Joseph. Joseph's mind was so strong, but all of a sudden something happens that bam, knocks him off of his equilibrium. How about David? First Samuel chapter 29 and 30. This guy, David, his life went from bad to worse. And the same thing with David and Joseph. He got all these prophetic words when he was a little kid. You know, when people say they, they got prophesied over when they were a little kid, I just say, get ready because some stuff's about to go, <laughs> go down in your life. Because if God has to give you a word when you're 13, he's trying to give you some encouragement for what's about to happen for about the next 20 years. <laughs> Samuel shows up at David's house. Jesse, I'm getting ready to anoint one of your sons, king of Israel. And Jesse brings out all of his older sons. They came out in Armani suits. Samuel said, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one. All six of them, not the one. Don't you have any other sons? God hasn't chosen any of these. So well, I got one, one more, but you don't want to see him. He's a shepherd. He's out there in the field twigs in his afro rings of dirt around his eyes samuel said go get him right now i'm not going to sit down until he comes in go get david david comes in and samuel sees this jacked up looking kid little ghetto kid just dirty just dirty i remember when i was, I, I always think of david my brothers and i were playing in the backyard one time when we were little we were real little we ran in the house to tell my mom about something and my mom pulled out the camera started taking pictures and laughing and i didn't know what she was laughing about but i saw those pictures later 
man, we look like, like, we look like refugees from, from Afghanistan or something. I look at those pictures to this day. We were covered in dirt, and we had, like, perfect rings of dirt around our eyes. I mean, we were jacked up. That, that's what David looked like when he came in from the field. About a little, little boy, 13 years old. And Samuel's looking at him like, Lord, you got to be kidding. And the, and the Lord says, that's the one. Arise and anoint him. And Samuel's like, okay, Lord. Pours the horn of oil over his head and says, today I anoint you king of Israel. And the next thing you know, Saul's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him while he's, while he's playing the harp. <laughs> And then Saul's taking his army out, chasing him through the desert. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything's going wrong. At a certain point, he said to himself, Saul's going to catch me and kill me any day now. In about 45 minutes, I mean, he had so many close calls where Saul was about to, one time, Saul was about to, Saul was coming one way around the mountain. David was coming another way. They were about to intersect and Saul would have immediately killed him. But Saul's cell phone went off, said, you better get back to the castle. We're getting attacked. And Saul and the army turned around and went back to the castle to defend themselves. So David had so many narrow escapes. Finally, David said one day, I better get out of here before Saul catches me and kills me. Since there's only one place to go, the Philistines, the Philistines, let's go to our enemies. So then he gets there, and then he, re- he remembers, wait a minute, I killed a lot of Philistines. <laughs> oh, shoot, what am I going to do? They're going to kill me. See, you know what he, I got a great idea. I'll act crazy in front of the king of the Philistines. So he starts just talking crazy. <laughs> you know, said he was making markings on the wall and slobbering on himself. And the king thought he was going to kill David. And he looked and saw that David had gone mad. He said, am I going to kill a madman? Get him out of my presence. And David goes, oh, thank God. Hallelujah. He and his 600 mighty men have to go live in Ziklag. And one day they're out doing their thing, attacking people, killing people, you know, raiding people. They come back home to Ziklag in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and they found the whole city was burned to the ground. And all of their wives and children were carried off. So David's thinking, okay, everything went wrong the moment that prophet poured the horn of oil over my head and anointed me king of Israel said, listen, I got a lesson to teach all of you folks. Don't ever let a prophet anoint you king. <laughs> Stay away from that anointing oil. That stuff will ruin your life. It will destroy your life. And he comes in, this is, this is just great. David was strong through everything, but he hit this moment. Wives and children carried off. The whole city of Ziklag burnt down. You know what it says? It says he and all his men fell to the ground and wept and wailed until they didn't have any more tears to weep. Said so they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. You ever been there? You ever cried until you just couldn't cry anymore? You ever cried until your tear ducts dried out? You had no more snot and no more slobber. I mean, have you ever hurt so bad where the cry came up out of the depth of your being? Now, you know, if you're 13, it's because your girlfriend left you last week. You'll get over that. (laughs) Somebody was telling me about their friend, and his girlfriend had broke up with him when he was a college student, like 19 years old. And they said, we were at the beach, and he was in the sand, throwing sand in the air, going, why? Why? He said sand was flying everywhere, and he was beating the sand. Oh, God! You know, had girl trouble. (laughs) Joseph made it through it, though, and the Lord... The Lord gave him a beautiful wife. (laughs) 
I'd say, I'd say coming home, finding your whole city burnt to the ground and all of your wives and children carried off. I say, that's probably as bad as it gets, right? Well, it got worse. Because David looks up in the midst of his crying and oh, God. And he looks up and everybody's picking up stones. And he goes, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Hey, what's happening? Everybody's picking up stones and looking at him. He says, what? What are you guys doing with them stones, guys? Don't be playing. Quit playing. Quit playing. And they said, this is your fault. This is your fault. You let us here. And they start talking to each other. Let's just kill him. Let's just stone him. And he goes, no, no, no. You need to go find that false prophet that anointed me king of Israel and stone him. (laughs) You know, stone him for them bad prophecies about me being king. (laughs) You need to stone all those people that told me they saw greatness in my life when I was a little kid. That's who you need to stone. He says, can we think about this? Now, this is the worst it could get now. Not only did your wives and kids get carried off, but your own people are holding stones in their hand, and they're talking about stoning you. That's enough to just fall out on the ground. I mean, you really got knocked off your equilibrium now, right? I don't care how strong you are. You don't have the strength to handle that. And neither did David. But you know what he did? He looked up and saw everybody standing with stones in his hand. He said, the pity party is over. It just ended right now. The time to cry has ended right now. He said, everybody, you can stone me, but just give me a second first. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. And he turned his back. He said, Lord, there ain't nobody here to encourage me, so I'm going to have to encourage myself. Nobody here to strengthen me, so I'm going to have to strengthen myself. Nobody here to lay hands on me, so I'm going to lay hands on myself. Where's my anointing oil? Samuel's not here to anoint me, so I'm going to anoint myself. He went in the bathroom, looked in the mirror, said, he looked in the mirror, said, young man, I got a word from the Lord for you. He said, I got a word for you. He said, the Lord brought, me be- brought, the Lord brought you before me. <laughs> and I was interceding and praying for you. And this is what the Lord said. He looked in the mirror and said, young man, this is not the end for you. This is only the beginning. Young man, I know it looks like there's no way out of this. Ha, don't, don't. He went and got on the organ. He went and got on the organ and he tuned himself up. Don't, 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 don't. I know it seems ha, that there's no way out of this. Ha, but I'm telling you ha, that late in the midnight hour, ha, God's going to turn it around. Ha, he's going to work in your favor. Ha. And then he gave himself an offering. but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. That's what it said. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David said, just because there's nobody here to encourage me, that does not give me an excuse to wallow in a pit of discouragement. I'm going to encourage my own self right now. I'm not going to lay around waiting for somebody to see me in this pit and be a good Samaritan. I'm going to be my own good Samaritan. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, the pity party's over. See, it's not, it's not bad to have a pity party. You just got to have the wisdom to know when it's over. That is when something knocks you off of your place of equilibrium, you got to know how to get back up. Yes, it might knock you down for a second, but the difference between those who are resilient and those who are not is that the resilient know how to get back up again. The scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. He gets up again. He gets up again. I don't care if you've been knocked off of your beast. You get up again. You're not going to lay down there in the, in the dust of the earth. It's time to awake and clothe yourself in strength. It's time to put on your garments of splendor, O virgin daughter of Zion. 
Later on, David would write in the Psalms. He says, Lord, I know that you are pleased with me. I know that you're pleased with me. Hold on, David. That sounds pretty arrogant. That sounds pretty prideful. How do you know that the Lord's pleased with you? See, we would never pray a prayer like that. We might pray, Lord, I just want to know that you're pleased with me. We pose it as a question, but we never really get an answer. Maybe at the end of the age, I'll hear him say, well done. Maybe just before he invites me into heaven, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I just want to hear him say, well done, right? David says, no, no, no. I don't need him to tell me. I know. He's pleased with me. I know that you are pleased with me. David, could you help me understand that? Because I need to know how to know that he's pleased with me. If I could just know that he's pleased with me, that would give me the strength to make it through every day. David said, well, it's easy. My enemies don't triumph over me. He didn't say my enemies don't come against me. He said they don't win. Enemies come at me right and left. Every morning I look out the window, oh, another army encamped against me. Oh, yep, war is rising against me. But he said, it's okay. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When my enemies come upon me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rises again. That's an everyday occurrence for me. You think I'm shaken because another enemy wants to take me on? He's pleased with me. Why? Because I can look back over my whole life and see many are they which rise up against me. Many are they which say of my soul, there is no hope for him in God. But thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, and you're the lifter of my head. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who teaches my hands to war. I can bend a bow of bronze. I know you're pleased with me, because there hasn't been an enemy yet that could take me out. They don't triumph over me. They can't take me down. The prince of this world comes, but he's got nothing in me. He can't take me down. Mm. I tell you, I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. Living hope to God in Christ by the end of this service, I'm telling you. (laughs) Mm. Resilience. Resilience is the ability to spring back. Resilience is actually a property possessed by a substance or object that allows it to spring back into shape. That's what resilience is. Resilience is elasticity. You know, there's those little squeezy balls where you take it and you squeeze it. I mean, you can squeeze it and you can see the imprint of your finger, but then you sit it down and it just pops back right into shape. It's resilient. You can take it and step on it and squish it and flatten it and pick it up and it pops back into shape. You can take it and stretch it and turn it every which direction. Let it go. It pops back into shape. Resilient believers say no matter what the devil throws at me, I'm going to pop back into shape. It doesn't mean I'm never affected. Doesn't mean I'm never stretched. Doesn't mean I never feel crushed. Doesn't mean I never see the imprint of evil on my life. But it means that no matter what the devil throws at me, I'm just going to pop back into shape. I got the power to spring back into shape you can't destroy me i got the power to spring back into shape resilience resilience i know how to come back i know how to come back i know how to i know how to regain my equilibrium it means that i might be shaken for a moment but i jump back and regain my equilibrium i know how to come back to my place of encouragement in the lord and here's the key david encouraged himself in the lord regained his equilibrium, and then he inquired of the Lord. 
in that order. He knew in a moment I'm going to ask the Lord a question, but before I inquire of him, i got to encourage myself in him because David knew that you cannot hear from God in the pit of discouragement. He knew God's going to speak to me, but I need to be in a place where I can actually hear him. And the pit of discouragement is not that place. I've got to encourage myself in the Lord with some fundamental truths that he is with me, that he has never let an enemy defeat me. And he won't. He's not about to start today. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when I'm not walking in faith, my ears are shut even to the word of the Lord. So if I'm in a pit of discouragement and I'm crying out, oh, God, help. Oh, God, get me out of here. Oh, Lord, help. But I have absolutely no faith that he's going to even hear or respond to my cry. I won't even hear a word he says. David says, I encouraged myself in the Lord first. And then I said, all right, guys, check it out. Put them stones down. I've just come back to my place of authority. Put those stones down. We're about to inquire of the Lord. Did any of you ever think that maybe we should stop and ask God about this? And they thought, you know, I never thought of that. The thought of stoning you just felt too good. So we're about to inquire of the Lord. And David says, everybody, listen up. Look at here. About to talk to the Lord. See what he says. Lord. Should we overtake them? Should we pursue them? Are we going to overtake them? And the Lord responded and said, pursue them. You're going to overtake them and you're going to recover all. And David says, see, see, he looks at the crowd. See, y'all were ready to stone me. You need me. Now let's go. Quit playing and put them stones down. Pick up your swords. You want your wives and kids back? Let's go. And David led that army of 600 mighty men in pursuit of a huge army with tens of thousands of soldiers called the Amalekites. They came upon them in the night, found them feasting and eating and drinking, and they fell upon them with a sword and destroyed the whole army and recovered everything. You know what the decisive turning point was? The decisive turning point was when David said, the crying is over. The pity party is over. It was okay for me to cry for that moment. It was appropriate that I cry. I mean, that's not something you just bounce back from immediately without crying. You know, there's a kind of encouragement that's just fake. You know, everybody comes home, all their wives and kids are gone and the place is burned to the ground. And David goes, hey, come on, guys. It's not that bad. You know, come on. Look on the bright side. You can get more wives and kids. You know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, Bob. You didn't even like your wife anyway. You were always complaining about how she was nagging. They did you a favor. Come on. That wasn't the kind of encouragement. So often when we go through stuff, we try to encourage ourselves, ourselves with foolishness. By trying to pretend things aren't as bad as they seem. Look on the bright side. God never said, look on the bright side. You will never find a word in scripture. Thus saith the Lord. It could have been worse. Rejoice, saith God, for I could have taken your lives as well. (laughs) You know? Never! David's encouragement was, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You're anointing my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, 
goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you something. You need strength, but you also need resilience. You need strength, and sometimes when you walk through something that knocks you off your equilibrium and you've got to use your resilience because you didn't have any strength at that moment, you jump up and you say, okay, that thing hit me, knocked me off my equilibrium, but I'm resilient. I bounce back, but not only that, but I made a decision that next time that thing comes, it's not going to knock me down. strong in the Lord. And so that means, see, resilience is not just the ability to bounce back, but it's the ability to close the door that was open that caused you to be knocked down in the the first place. It's the ability to say, this was a good lesson for me. I didn't realize I was vulnerable in that place. Now let me close that door. Because actually, in actuality, after David got done crying, and went and encouraged himself and inquired of the Lord, he probably looked back on that whole situation and said, why didn't I just inquire of the Lord in the first place? I should have just encouraged myself immediately and inquired of the Lord. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. Resilience. Resilience, in a sense, is a form of an adaptive capacity. It is the extent to which you are able to change your current structures in order to reduce your vulnerability. And the word of the Lord is speaking to some of you today. You know you got places of vulnerability in your life. And just because you haven't fallen into that trap yet doesn't mean you're invulnerable to it. It just means the devil hasn't pushed that button yet. But what are you going to do when he pushes it? Have you put on the armor of God? I talked about the bulletproof vest in the beginning. It lowers your level of vulnerability to bullets. But God has something better than a bulletproof vest. He's got a breastplate of righteousness. He's got a belt of truth. He's got a helmet of salvation. He's got a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's got a shield of faith. And listen to this. He said, if you're holding up that shield of faith, you can quench all of the fiery darts of the evil one. All of them. You know how you decrease your vulnerability and increase your strength? You learn how to look to Jesus, how to look to the Lord and his strength is what David said. And you do that not with your physical eyes. You know, a lot of times we say, let's look to the Lord. Everybody goes. No, you're looking at the ceiling. You're looking at tiles and the Lord ain't up there, actually. Because people in China are looking up and they're looking exactly the opposite direction you're looking. (laughs) Think he's in the sky somewhere? (laughs) You know how you look to the Lord? You got to look to him with your heart and with your mind. You know how you do that? You learn how to meditate on his word day and night. Reduce your vulnerability by increasing your meditation. Meditating on his word day and night. That's why David asked the question in Psalm 139, how can a young man keep his way pure? Then he answered his own question by giving heed to the word of God. And then he described it further by saying, your word I've hidden in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. He says, David says, every time I see a place of vulnerability in my life, I put some word in that place. I cover it with a word. I put some word there and I meditate on it and I learn to live in that place where I'm giving God my undivided attention because when you are meditating on the word of God, you don't have the time to freak out. You say, I forgot to be afraid. I didn't have the time to. You know how people have to forget to eat? That just drives me crazy. That should be a, a mental disorder. Hey, I didn't eat today. Why not? Oh, I didn't have the time to. No. <laughs> you had plenty of time. That's an excuse. I take authority when it comes to eating. I can take, say, got 30 seconds. We got to leave in 30 seconds. I will make a way to get some food in my system in that 30 seconds. I know how to stretch that 30 seconds. Take every second of it. I'll grab a couple things of yogurt. Say it takes me eight seconds to open the lid and another 22 seconds to eat the yogurt. No problem. What happened? <laughs> That's called the spirit of distraction. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is it's time to learn how to meditate on God's word day and night. To focus on him. To look to the Lord and his strength. And as we look to the Lord and his strength, he increases both our strength and our resilience. And suddenly you find that you can be strong, firm, steadfast. That's what he said. He will keep you strong, firm, and steadfast till the end. That is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd fall on every heart and every mind. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that weak thinking. That tendency to meditate on my weakness, that tendency to meditate on my problems, that tendency to meditate on the things that are falling apart or going wrong in my life, that spirit of Antichrist that comes to weaken us when the spirit of Christ comes to strengthen us. Just as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the spirit of Christ comes to strengthen me, but the spirit of Antichrist comes to weaken me. And God, right now, I rebuke the spirit of Antichrist that's been working on your people. In Jesus' name. Come on, just renounce that power, the spirit of Antichrist. That power that starts working on you the moment you wake up in the morning to make you feel weak. That power that wants to make you feel like a failure, or make you feel ineffective, unproductive, impotent. The spirit of Antichrist throws stuff in your face and says, you're powerless against this thing. The Spirit of Christ says, no, I'm here to strengthen you. I'm here to show you that you're strong. You're going to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Maybe you're here today and something knocked you off your place of equilibrium. Maybe you've stayed down for too long. It's time for you to get up right now. It's time for you to get up and make a decision. I will not be weak. I will not be weakened. 
I will not let the devil weaken me in this place, not for another moment. No, I'm making a decision right now. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm going to put on the whole armor of God, and I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I'm going to put on the whole armor of God so that I might be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, I'm going to stand, therefore, having my loins girt about with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, Salvation, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, taking up the shield of faith with which I can quench every fiery dart of the evil one and shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel, praying always with all prayer and supplication, being watchful to this end. That's how I'm going to live my life. Come on, make a decision. Make a decision right now. Just begin to speak it to God. I'm going to be strong in the Lord. Come on, just begin to speak it. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's here to strengthen you. Christ is always here to strengthen you. He's always strengthening you, but you got to learn how to receive his strength. you got to learn how to be strengthened. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never ashamed. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never ashamed. Make a decision. I'm going to look to him. You say, but I haven't done anything wrong. Those who look to him are radiant, not those who are right. I don't care if you're right or wrong. Are you looking to him? Are you giving him your undivided attention? Make a decision right now. I'm going to look to the Lord. Father, I thank you, God. I speak your blessing, God. I speak your blessing, God. Strengthen each and every heart right now. Strengthen each and every mind right now. Strengthen each and every heart. Strengthen each and every mind right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray it. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, just begin to rejoice right now. Just begin to rejoice. Stand up on your feet and lift up your hands and just begin to rejoice. Yes, Lord, we give you praise. Come on, lift your voice. Just sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Whoa, Jesus, you are so good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me. Jesus. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me, Jesus. I got love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. Oh, 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 yeah, I got love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. Oh, oh, come on, sing it. I got love, joy, peace. Come on. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. I got love. Come on, sing it. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. I got love. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. One more time, I got love. Oh, 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 yeah, come on now. Because he is so good, so good, so, so good to me. 
so good, so, so good. Put your hands. So good, so good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me, Jesus. Now come on, give him a shout of praise. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Yeah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, you're going to make a decision today that you're going to be strong. That you're going to be strong and not in your own strength. It's not about pretending to be strong. It's about simply knowing that the Lord is always strong. That whatever hit you has not hit him. That he is the one being in the universe who has never been knocked off of his place of equilibrium. Nothing has ever hit him so hard that it moved him from his place. He has always remained strong. He has not moved. And he wants to impart to you and me that invulnerability to the attacks of the devil. And we can grow into that place of strength. But it's about making a decision. We're going to meditate on God's word day and night. And that's going to be the focus of 2013. The theme of the year is a way through mighty waters. But specifically, God wants to wake up, make a way through the mighty waters of your mind. He doesn't want your mind to be like mighty waters. He wants it to be like still waters, like a calm stream. But it starts with learning to focus your mind and heart on him. Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless each and every one with strength, with hope, and with love. In your precious name, and I thank you. Amen. Give God one more shout of praise and we're dismissed.